Last year, scientists in Cardiff, in Wales, they, dis- they, they declared that they had discovered the perfect biscuit for dunking in your tea. They, they went to great lengths to do that. They measured the, nutri- the nutritional content of the biscuit, how well it cooled the tea, how much tea it soaked up, and how long it took for the biscuit to break. And they discovered this, that the rich tea biscuit was not, it was not the best biscuit. Despite its name, it came in fourth place. The shorty was in third. You can see how, how much they put into this uh, by the list. The digestive was in second, and out on top, in first place, claiming the title of the perfect biscuit for dunking your tea, was the hobnob. Now, you may or may not agree with that. I don't know. But scientists have been trying to discover the perfect uh, version of things for years. For example, some others, they quantified the perfect cup of filter coffee based on the size of the coffee grounds and the, the, the time it took for the water to go through. Others described the perfect slice of toast with this wonderful little equation there in the corner. It translates to heating the bread to at least 120 degrees C, using butter straight from the fridge, applying it within two minutes and to a thickness of no more than one seventeenth of the bread. So tomorrow morning, you know what to do. Now whether you believe that scientists can help us find the perfect biscuit, the perfect cup of coffee, perfect slice of toast or not, What they can't do is help us find the perfect person. Now, I know that sometimes at funerals, we describe people as perfect. In fact, in the New Year, eh, on New Year's Day, there was an ambulance driver in England who sadly died in in a car accident. And in the news, his family described him as just perfect. Now, we know what they mean, don't we? That the guy was a, a, a great husband, a great father, a great son. But he wasn't perfect. Because nobody's perfect. We, we all mess up. We all fall short of that perfect standard. And that might not matter too much when we're talking about each other. You know, in a relationship with each other. Because, look, we can overlook all of that. You have to if you're married to that person, of course. But it does matter if we're designed to have a relationship with a perfect God. And so, deep down, many of us have that nagging sense that our guilt... All the things that we've done wrong or thought that were wrong or all the times we've messed up, we have that nagging sense that that guilt will stop us from ever coming into God's presence. And so people have tried lots of different ways to deal with their guilt, to make themselves right with God. People put all their effort into religious activities. Or ritual sacrifices. Or gifts to charity. Or endless praying. 
But the writer of this letter of the book of Hebrews, he knew that none of that would make us perfect. None of them would deal with our guilt. None of us, could, none of them could make us right with God. But he also knew that it was good news. There was a better way to perfection. A better way to be right with God. And this morning we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 to 18, and Brian's going to come up and he's going to read it for us this morning. Thank you. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For the reason it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they have not stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once and for all, and would no longer have felt guilty for the sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by the will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all the time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Thank you very much, Brian. As I hope that some of us will remember, this letter was written mainly to Jewish Christians who trusted in Jesus, but were being tempted to turn back to depend again on the temple and the Levitical priesthood and animal sacrifices that they left behind. But the writer of this letter wanted them to know that this would be a major problem. Because none of those things could ever make them right with God. And that's because, as it says in verse 1, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. 
not the realities themselves. Now, I think this would have been a shocking statement for the first readers of this letter. Because they knew that the Mosaic law, you know, the Ten Commandments and all the other commands that were part of that, that was an amazing gift to their nation from God. But the law was not God's final word to the world. It was not God's ultimate revelation. Instead, it was only a shadow. It was, it, there, was, there was similarities, there was truth in it, but it wasn't the real thing. It was there to point forward to a greater reality that was going to come. So Galatians chapter 3 verse 24 says this, The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. The law was not the destination. Instead it was a signpost to point people to the destination which is Jesus. And so verse 1 continues, For this reason... The law can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. God had commanded all of those animal sacrifices to be made in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. But none of them took away sin. None of them brought people into a right relationship with God. None of them dealt with that nagging sense of guilt that people had. None of them made the worshippers perfect. And this was actually proved by the fact that they had to be repeated year after year after year. About 12 days ago, the techno company Apple, they announced its latest products including their new uh, 14 and 16 inch MacBook Pros. Now these laptops have the world's, uh, some of the most powerful chips in the world. And they boast incredible performance, impressive battery life, enhanced connectivity, a larger memory and a, and a stunning display. And they should, because they cost up to something like 4,000 euro. I'll not be going out to buy one anyway. They are amazing machines. But they're not perfect. How do we know that? Well, we know that because next year, or the year after, there'll be a new model that'll come out with even better specifications. And they hope that people will want them instead of the old model. They'll want to upgrade and renew and buy them. So the need for a newer model every year shows that the last year's model, although it was amazing, it wasn't perfect. Now in a sense that's what's happening with the Old Testament sacrifices. Because they had to be repeated year after year, it showed that they weren't perfect. They couldn't really do what was needed. So verse 2 says this, 
If those sacrifices could have made someone right with God, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all. I would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. If they, those sacrifices did the job, then they would need to come back again, year after year. And so instead of delivering them from guilt and setting them free from their sin, those repeated sacrifices, in fact, did the opposite. Year after year, they brought people back to the tabernacle to, to, to make, offer those sacrifices for their sin and remind them that they weren't right with God. Again and again. They would be reminded of their sinfulness. They'd be reminded of their separation from a holy God. So verse 3 says, those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. And why is that? Why was the law powerless to deal with our sinfulness? Why were all those sacrifices unable to make the worshippers perfect before a holy God? Well, verse 4 tells us, because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. The wages of our sin is our death. And so no animal sacrifice could match that price. Because we as human beings, made in the image of God, are worth far more than any animal. So those sacrifices were powerless to deal with our sin. You could not make anybody perfect in God's sight. And so this is the reality that we need to face today. No amount of religious rituals or ceremonies, even if they were God-given, even if they were prescribed by God's law, no amount of them could ever make us perfect before God. Rather, all they can do is remind us of our guilt and our separation from God. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. This is our problem with seeking perfection. With trying to make ourselves right with God through our own efforts. Whatever we do, we cannot achieve this. We will never be good enough. We will never be righteous enough. We will never be holy enough. <coughs> and so today, if, like so many people around us, if we are still depending on trying to keep the law, you know, trying to live by the Ten Commandments or the Golden Rule or anything like that, 
If we are still depending on making sacrifices, on giving to charity, on serving in church, if we are depending on following religious rituals or ceremonies, like attending church, or baptism, or communion, or confirmation, or the Mass, or any of those things, if we are depending on any of them, in the hope that that will make us perfect in the sight of a holy God, then we will never be released from our guilt and shame. Never. We'll never know the joy and the freedom of God's presence. We'll never get to spend eternity with God in heaven doesn't matter how good we are. doesn't matter how committed we are. doesn't matter how much time and effort and money we put into all of those things. They'll never work. We need something better. And it is that better that God has provided in Christ. He is God's provision of the perfection that we need. And in this passage, the writer showed this by again referring back to the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament was a, was a shadow of what was to come. So it points forward. And this time he goes to Psalm 40. And he introduced this quotation by saying, in verse 5, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said... Now, that's quite amazing, isn't it? Because this psalm was written by David. About a thousand years before Jesus was born. And yet the writer understood that in reality, these are the words of Christ. Speaking about his incarnation and his ministry. So what did Christ say here? Well, he showed that he understood that although the law required all of those animal sacrifices... They could never satisfy the righteous requirements of God. Look at verse 5 again. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Verse 6. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Instead, what God valued, instead of all these thousands of sacrifices, was obedience. Was perfect obedience. This is what the Old Testament throughout it points to. Yes, it tells, told the people of Israel to make those sacrifices, but it pointed to something more that God was looking for. So, for example, when Samuel confronted Saul because of his disobedience, he said this, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. So God is looking for perfect obedience. But the problem is, none of us can, can match that standard. None of us can live up to that level of perfect obedience. Nobody except Jesus. Verse 5, he said, But a body you have prepared me, this is pointing to the incarnation. 
when the Son of God became flesh, He dwelt among us in a life of perfect obedience. This is what he said in verse 7. He said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. And that's what he did. He honoured God his Father. Not through sacrifices of thousands of animals, but through a life of perfect obedience. He is the one, as, as we read in verse, chapter 7, verse 26, who is holy and blameless and pure and set apart from sinners. Jesus is the only one who lived a life of perfect obedience. Who constantly sought to please His Father. Who completely fulfilled His Father's will. And so Jesus was the only one who offered himself unblemished to God. His perfect life laid down on the cross in our place as our substitute was a perfect sacrifice. It accomplished what all those thousands of animal sacrifices never could. Verse 10, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus has done what all the thousands of sacrifices could never have done. He has made us holy through the sacrifice of himself. And again the writer went back to the Old Testament to show this, to prove this. So look at verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. The Levitical priests, the, the priests who were the descendants of Aaron, they weren't allowed to sit in the temple or in the, the tabernacle. They had to stand and offer their sacrifices, the same ones, again and again, even although they could never achieve perfection. But look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, But when this priest, that's Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. That's a quotation from Psalm 110. The writer of Hebrews is referred to a number of times, even in in chapter 1, if you remember. So when Jesus ascended into heaven, he sat down. Not just to show his superiority to all of the angels. Not just to to wait for his victory over his enemies to be revealed to the world. But he sat down because his sacrifice was over. His death on the cross was decisive. Once for all. Sufficient to pay for all of our sins For all time. 
those Jewish priests, they had to stand because they had to make sacrifices again and again. Year after year, because those sacrifices were imperfect. They could never make anybody perfect. But Jesus sat down because his sacrifice was finished. It was the perfect sacrifice of a life of perfect obedience. And it is that sacrifice alone that can provide perfection for all of us who trust in him. Look at this wonderful verse in verse 14. Because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Did you get that? By one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. If we have turned away from trying to provide our own perfection, if we have stopped trusting in ourselves, our efforts, our law-keeping, our sacrifices, our religious activities, and if we humbly put our trust in Jesus alone for our salvation, then God's promise is that today, Today, we are perfect in His sight. People like you and me can be perfect in God's sight. Our sins have been completely forgiven. Our failures have been eternally removed from us. And instead, we've been given the perfect record of Jesus Himself. So today, if we've trusted in Jesus, we are dressed in His righteousness. We're adopted into His family. We're indwelt by His Spirit. We're held in His hand. We're welcomed into His presence. We are secure in His love. And all of this will be forever. And of course, we don't live a perfect life today, do we? That work of sanctification, of the the Holy Spirit-empowered process of making us more like Jesus, that's going to continue all through our lives. None of us have arrived there yet. Please hear me. None of us here are living perfect lives. We all mess up. None of us come here this morning because we've had a perfect week behind us. None of us. We all sin. That process of changing our lives is still ongoing. And some of us know that we've got a long way to go in that. Some people think that's what the the writer was meant by that little phrase. Those who are being made holy. In verse 14. Being made holy, that process of sanctification. That's how some people read it. Read there. But in the book of Hebrews, being made holy usually refers to the once and for all cleansing from our sin. Because verse 10 says, we have been made holy. It's already done. So I think this verse, rather than referring to the process of, of changing how we're living our lives, 
is declaring that through Christ we've already been set apart as God's holy people. And there's a word that we use for that. God's holy people are the saints. So we are the saints this morning. If we've trusted in Jesus. Not because we're living a good life, because we fail again and again. But because through that one sacrifice forever, we have been made perfect. So yes, we do need to continue to confess our sin to God. And receive his ongoing forgiveness and grace. But that is not to try and make ourselves right with God. If we are in Christ today, we already are right with God. Our guilt has been removed. Our shame has been replaced with confidence. And we can live every day in the joy and freedom of knowing that we are perfect in God's sight. That we can come confidently into His presence. We can rejoice that we are part of God's new covenant community. Verse 16 and 17 refer back to the prophecy of Jeremiah. We looked at that when we were looking at chapter 8 of this letter. This prophecy that speaks of that new covenant community. This new, this new community of people who have come into a new agreement between God and us. And it involves some amazing things like verse 16. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. That internal change that God works in our life. And then incredible forgiveness. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. God will never hold our sins against us ever again. And that new covenant reminds us that with Jesus coming, He has changed everything. That's how we started our, our service this morning. This changes everything. When Jesus came, verse 9, He set aside the first to establish the second. Jesus set aside that old covenant between him and the people of Israel with all of its laws and its sacrifices and its rituals that could never make anybody perfect. He set that aside. And instead he established a new covenant offering perfect forgiveness and acceptance into God's family. What this meant for the original readers of this letter was that they should never go back to the Judaism that they'd come from. They didn't need to go back to the temple. They didn't need the Levitical priesthood. They didn't need to make any more sacrifices for sin. Because in Christ, they had everything that they needed to be perfect before God. Their sins were completely forgiven. And where these have, been, these have been forgiven, there's no longer any sacrifice for sin. And folks, it's the same for us today. We cannot produce 
our own perfection in God's sight. No matter how much we try to live a good life, or try to do good things, or follow religious rituals, we will never make ourselves right with God. But God has provided everything that we need. Through Jesus' perfect obedience and his perfect sacrifice. And so if we put our trust in Jesus, then today we've been made perfect forever. We are God's holy people. We are free from guilt and shame. We are welcomed into God's presence. And nothing and no one can ever separate us from his love. All that's left for us is to go and live in the joy and the freedom of that. Live in the wonder of knowing that we are accepted into God's family, into his presence, every moment of every day. And to go and share the good news with those around us.